The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favorite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Harley, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, brother? I'm doing fine. It's very nice to be with you. This is going to be a really interesting uh, conversation because I was listening to you and Dave from the X22 report having a chat the other day and you had a way of encapsulating basically a lot of the questions I have about the world into some very simplistic yet maybe some quite scary answers <laughs> when you look at them on a global view. And I don't mean to laugh, but sometimes that's all we can do. I would really love to explore some of these themes with you today, Harley. And I don't want to use the word predicament, but maybe that is the only word that fits for where we are in 2021. I would like to start off by asking you, do you think we are in a predicament and have we been in one like this before in human history? I think there have been similar kinds of crises, but what makes this one different is that it's totally global. And the people who have the power and got us into this situation uh, don't have a way out, but they're attempting to impose policies, which if they're successful in imposing them, could wipe out half the human race or more uh, assuming they don't get us into a nuclear war. So we are facing, when you talk about a predicament, this is an existential crisis. The people running the world, so to speak, the globalists, the Davos billionaires, the Anglo-American NATO establishment, the five eyes, uh, have proven to be completely lunatic in their assessment. And 
utopian in their views as to what they intend to do. So I would say this is probably the most serious crisis we've faced. And it's made more serious because so many people in, who became active in the last three or four years, uh, when Biden got in in the United States, they threw up their arms and said, see, we tried. We got 75 million votes for Trump and we ended up with nothing. There's nothing we can do. You can't beat them. And that's the wrong approach. And I like the fact that you were laughing before because we should laugh at the folly of that idea that what are we going to give up and let these complete maniacs uh, have their way? So if I have a message, it's that this is a very serious situation, but they have vulnerabilities and we have strengths. and We have to identify those to move ahead. Is it as simple as us versus them? Because I've, I've often thought this, that there, there can't be inherent evil or badness in people, yet everywhere that I turn, I seem to be presented with that, that concept or notion. And it, it, it goes against everything that I've, <laughs> I, 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 I believe in, yet it's becoming more and more a belief and, and it's, it, it's challenging me on a day-to-day basis. And over the last year and a half or year, especially since Corona has popped up its head, I've asked many people like yourself, like, I, I just can't believe that this is actually happening and at such a speed. And yeah, so let me ask you that, good and bad, <laughs> or good versus evil, it, does it exist? Or <laughs> You know, the, the answer to that is, is, on the one hand, you want to believe that, that human beings are inherently good. But history tells us that that's not true. There are individuals who place their personal interests and their personal sense of identity ahead of the human species as a whole. Now, I'm not talking about altruism. I'm talking about uh, a common interest in achieving a, a kind of peace and comfort for the majority of human beings. But when you ask about evil, let me just take one specific case right now. Uh, And this is the case of the continuity of the Trump policy and the Biden policy on Syria. Now, when I talk about the Trump policy, I'm talking about in the last year, because Trump's policy on Syria in 2017 through 2019 was to work with the Russians to crush the terrorists. And it was absolutely right. It was necessary. And it was a good policy. And he got the military to work with the Russian military so he could defeat ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Now, what happened after that victory was that the geopoliticians moved in. And in this case, I'm talking about what some people call the deep state or the permanent bureaucracy, in particular around the figure of Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, who is committed to regime change in Syria. And that was his policy. And he imposed these sanctions on the Syrian people that, you know, people who've been through 10 years of a bloody civil war against unbelievably evil terrorists, the ISIS and Al Qaeda. And I'm saying evil in this case because they were brutal in their attacks, not just on Christians in Syria, but on other Muslims. Now, as they were about to be defeated, Pompeo imposed sanctions called the Caesar sanctions, 
which is, have essentially cut off food going into Syria. The U.S. military is perched in a spot in Syria where we're taking their oil and their wheat. And so you have upwards of 90% of the population facing food insecurity. And Pompeo's view was they'll blame it on Assad and we'll finally get rid of him. So the new administration comes in. And some people are saying, well, Biden's a realist. Biden will be different. He won't continue this policy. Well, he's not only continuing it, but Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, who, by the way, under Obama, was critical of Obama for not doing more to bomb the Syrian government. Blinken went to NATO last week and insisted that the Europeans fully support the sanctions against Syria because we've got to get rid of Assad. So what is business is it of American policymakers to determine what the government of Syria should be? especially when most of the world was excited when it looked as though the terrorist caliphate was defeated. So when you ask the question, are there, are there people who are evil? I would say what Blinken is doing in the continuation of Pompeo's policy, and we see this in many other places with sanctions, it's killing children. You know, 500,000 Iraqi children died when Bill Clinton put an embargo on food and medicine into Iraq. Now, is that, was that justified to get rid of Saddam Hussein? Well, it didn't work to get rid of Saddam Hussein. You had to launch a completely phony war or a lying war, a war based on lies, to get rid of Saddam Hussein and in the process destroyed Iraq. So, yeah, I would say there are people who make the policies who are evil, who absolutely have a view that they're destined to rule. You know, in a sense, it's it's like a continuation of the idea of a monarchy uh, uh, chosen by God, the mandate from heaven to rule, and anything that gets in the way can be flattened or destroyed. So I think we are facing a, a, an actual evil, but the only reason it succeeds is that good people are somewhat intimidated by the power or kept in the dark and don't know what's going on. Oh, I, w I want to ask you about the word sovereignty and sovereign countries, because I know that you have a, have a great interest in how, how the global, how it all works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and is it, is it, is it meant to work? <laughs> That's the, I'm sorry to, to always laugh about these things, but there's such, such enormous questions and 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 I want to get onto solutions well, in, in the latter half of this. But um, talk to me about where where has has it been a, a continual erosion of sovereign nations over, over a period of time, and is and is it accelerating? This is an important concept, and it actually goes back. Uh, you may not know this, but the LaRouche movement in the United States. Uh, was founded by Lyndon LaRouche as an effort to restore the tradition of the American founding fathers as an anti-imperial republic and as a sovereign republic, with the idea being that a sovereign nation is one where you have a government which acts in the interests of its people, not for private interests, private gain, private powers, but acts with as much 
capability as it can muster to determine what's in the best interest of the people. And of course, in the U.S. Republic, the people have an opportunity to vote out the leaders if they think they're not acting for the sovereign interests. Now, here's the problem. Sovereignty implies, as Ben Franklin was supposedly uh, supposedly remarked when he was asked, what kind of government did you give us? He said, a republic, if you can keep it. A sovereign republic requires an educated, activated population. And what happened in the United States is that at times the policies were so successful at providing improvements in living standards, growing population, uh, new technologies, new industries, optimism about the future, that people stopped caring about the art of government and turned it over to what became private interests. And the fight in the United States has always been between those people who were allied with the the founding fathers' idea of a republic versus those who were committed to some alliance with the British uh, monarchy and the city of London. And so I would say, if you look at the world today, without going through 200 and something years of history, look at the world today, what do we see? Trump got elected partly because he said, we're not acting in the interest of the American people with these endless wars and with these endless bailouts and with this fake green policy and with these so-called free trade agreements. So we're going to get back to what's in the interest of the American people. And then he said, we believe every nation should be sovereign. Every people deserves a government that acts in its interests. And where we have disagreements with them, we can negotiate. Where we have agreements, great, we can pursue common purposes. That's his idea of sovereignty. And that coincides pretty much with what Lyndon LaRouche said about sovereignty. Now, what does that go up against? Well, under the policies of the last 50 years, going back to uh, 1971, when the dollar was taken off the gold reserve, Power was pretty much handed to a gang of international bankers uh, tied to the central banks and the largest banks and financial institutions in the world. And so the, the value of money had no longer any connection to something fixed, namely gold and, and a fixed exchange rate. It now depended entirely on how these central banks decided to crank up money supply for the purposes of their, their private interests. So it went away from the idea of national sovereignty to such things as free trade deals. Now, what were free trade deals? Corporations could function on an international basis. So an American company could produce a product cheaper in China than it could in the United States. So it moved the factory out of the United States to China. And if there were any attempt to fight that, it would be adjudicated in an international court controlled by corporations rather than a nationally sovereign uh, judicial system. So free trade eroded entirely national control over the economic policy of nations. Then you add in the International Monetary Fund. You add in the things such as the Brussels uh, European Union policy, which took away sovereignty from every European nation. And the British, of course, tried to get it back with Brexit. And we've seen what a hash they made of that. So the question of sovereignty, and and, the other thing that's interesting on sovereignty is there are some nations which will not give up their sovereignty. 
And two of them are very big problems for the globalists, namely Russia and China. The Chinese won't let Western bankers come in and loot their economy and take the, the dollars they've earned and put them into a speculative bubble. Nor will the Russians. The Russians did it in the 1990s and it nearly destroyed their population. So you have some countries that still believe in sovereignty. You have other countries like Germany, where I live now, where the idea that Germany could be sovereign is considered by some people to be a return to Nazism, you know, which is a complete fraud. You look at, at Australia, you know, who's the sovereign of Australia? Is it the people or is it the British Empire, the Commonwealth, the Queen? So I think this is one of the most profound issues that we're going to have to fight out in the, the course of the uh, 21st century. Mm, what a beautiful summation. And thank you for the history lesson. Um, I'd love to go into LaRouche a little bit more to, to explain who this remarkable individual was. And, but you mentioned one word then, which was fight. And how do you, how do you fight against this? So <laughs> is that, is that for a little later on, maybe in the podcast that you, and we want well, to get, get into LaRouche? We can get to that. I mean, the thing about LaRouche is he was a fighter. And because he fought, and because he fought effectively, he became an enemy of the deep state in the United States. And, you know, we can, we can come back to that if you'd like. But the, the basic point is that if you have a gang of oligarchs or elites or an establishment, which is taking the world into an extremely dangerous situation, the question is, will people figure that out in time to do something about it? And the, the way to fight it is to find out exactly who the enemy is, who's doing this, what their plan is, what their intention is, and what their weaknesses are. And the biggest weakness they have, the reason they're moving so rapidly toward this great reset and global Green New Deal and provocation and confrontation against Russia and China is because their vulnerability is they're sitting on a debt bubble in many categories of debt, which is about to explode. You know, they, the private debt of citizens, you know, credit card debt, mortgage debt, student loans, I'm talking about the United States now, but some of this is true everywhere, corporate debt. Corporations in the last 10 years in the United States have issued something like $14 trillion worth of bonds more than 50% of which are now junk bonds or lower. And the, these corporations are now called zombie corporations because they don't make enough income to cover the interest on their debt. Now, if we had a sane society, they'd be put through bankruptcy reorganization, but that would trigger a collapse of the banks that they owe money to. And so what do the banks do? They go to the Federal Reserve, they go to the Bank of England, the European Central Bank, and say, you must print more liquidity. We have a liquidity crisis. Well, no, we have a solvency crisis. They're keeping alive bankrupt companies for the purposes of protecting the portfolios of major banks and trading companies. So that's their vulnerability. Now, if people understood that, instead of getting caught up in left, right, liberal, conservative, uh, the usual uh, profiles that people fall into, but you actually realize the people running things have run the car off the road, it's out of gas, it's set to blow up, 
And what they're going to do is sell it to you with uh, money that you're going to borrow from yourself. Once you recognize that, then the question is, what can we do to move toward a regulated system which takes power away from them? And this is the real problem. This is the question of, of education. It's the question of uh, uh, not relying. I think the problem Trump had is he relied too much on people from Wall Street to make his I, economic I feel policy. like you're about to take us down a, a, a rabbit hole here and with some of these solutions, if there is such a thing as a solution here. Uh, recently, I've had... Um, a great education. It's so funny that you talk about education because when I was going through junior school and then high school, I enjoyed junior school because I was learning and then high school, it was like, oh, shit, there's, I'm learning stuff that I don't think I'll ever use in the real world. I just knew it from a, from a young teenager. And my pursuit over the last 25 years since leaving the education system has been to gather as much information that can actually benefit me in the real world, how to cook, how, how to understand what goes into my body to keep this body functioning for as long as, as possible, how, how to, uh, these life skills. Um, my wife and I now live <coughs> on a farm and now we're raising our own animals, growing our own food, these types of common, um, common day skills that we seem to have bred out of education and one of the things that's been fascinating over the last year or so has been learning about cryptocurrency and as soon as somebody started telling me about it and, and actually explaining to me why this potentially could be one of the greatest uh, opportunities not only for personal wealth but more importantly as a way to step out of the system and create a new system, it, it made so much sense to me. I'm like, okay, I see. Mm -hmm. I've I, I finally found another, I guess, piece of the puzzle that this potentially could create long-term sustainable health and wellness because it does extend beyond just the food that we eat and the water we drink and the, and, uh, the air that we breathe. I, I believe in a modern-day world we still need to be able to store our wealth somehow. And... And also in the last year, I've had the great fortune of speaking to people that can talk about precious metals, uh, real precious metals, such as silver and gold. So is this a solution, cryptocurrency, silver and gold, or is it just feeding back into the beast? Well, this is a question that, that is still to be determined. And it partly depends on whether or not you believe that the function of national governments uh, has outlived its purpose, and we don't need national governments. You know, I'm, I look over the course of, of American history and see that there were periods where we had a sound money system based on the idea of a Hamiltonian credit policy. That's named after Alexander Hamilton. And what Hamilton said when he first came in as the Treasury Secretary under George Washington the U.S. had a huge debt, and Jefferson was saying, pay off the debt no matter what, uh, just get the debt off our back. Others are saying default on the debt. And Hamilton said, well, people did loan us money to, to win the war, and so we do owe them the money, even if they sold their, their 
uh, debt to speculators. But a national, a, a well-managed debt can be a national blessing if it's done properly. So what Hamilton did is he organized a credit system where the government would create credit through a national bank, which would sell shares to people, private people, but also the government owned some of the shares. And it extended that credit to producers, not to speculators, but to producers. And the Hamiltonian system enabled the American government to pay off its debt within 20 years, the Revolutionary War debt, which was huge. And they did it in part by investing in such things as infrastructure, bridges, roads, ports, canals, to bind the nation together, to create cheaper means of moving goods and products and, and labor, and then eventually credit into manufacturing, where they rewarded entrepreneurs and scientists and inventors by protecting them with patents, by making credit available to them. And as a result, the United States became an extremely prosperous nation. Now, that went against the people who never gave up on winning the United States back into the empire, namely the British bankers. And so U.S. history has been a fight between that Hamiltonian credit system. And we can get into this more if you wish, but you know, some people think credit is what binds you to the, to the bankers. No, the, the, the bankers depend on the production of the population to get paid back, as opposed to the bankers setting the terms for everything. That's how the Hamiltonian system works. And so if that could be re revitalized in the United States today, I don't think, I mean, maybe you could do it in conjunction with cryptocurrency, but the problem is not money. The, the, the problem is that people think an economy is about money. No, an economy is about production. As you mentioned, the, the question of doing your own farming and producing, you get an appreciation for what's necessary, what kind of input is necessary to improve your crops and make sure they're nutritious and healthy, keep the animals healthy and so on, as opposed to a, a modern corporation, which is only looking at the bottom line for the shareholders. And we'll do things like pump steroids and hormones into animals that are unhealthy to human beings because they can produce bigger animals and more of them and make more profits. So the question is, do you put the living values of a population ahead of short-term profits? And right now, the whole world is run on this profit basis, or most of the world. And it's not working because they're making profits from paper speculation, from computer speculation, from algorithms, as opposed to producing the things that are needed, not just today, but for the future. So I'm giving you a longer answer. I, I'm not sure that cryptocurrencies as they're currently in existence would function for uh, a global monetary system, although there are people who are working on it. But I think the first thing we've got to do is shift the approach of economics from profits for speculators to improving living standards for the a growing world population. If you don't do that, you're going to end up leaving people out. You're going to end up 
with the situation we now have, where there's famine in Africa, there's famine uh, in parts of the Middle East, uh, there are parts of the world where there's no money whatsoever available to fight whatever diseases are there, including the COVID pandemic. And so you're writing off parts of the world population. We can't do that. As human beings, we can't do that. So we need a system that actually functions for production. And that's what LaRouche advocated with his promotion of this idea of the Hamiltonian credit system and the American uh, system of regulated banking. You make the bankers act for the interest of the nation as opposed to the interest of their stockholders. And can that happen? Can it? <laughs> well, yeah. it, it, it's interesting because I've had a well-known Australian economist on the podcast before, and he, excuse my language here, but he, I said, what's the, what's the situation? He goes, we're basically fucked. He goes, but nobody's prepared to tell the people that. Um, That's how right. Much, how much debt we're in. And he was a big fan of one of our prime ministers from 100 years ago um, who it was interesting. I was at Parliament House the other day and you couldn't find his his picture in chronological order because I think it was in 1930s this, this fellow from Tasmania came out and basically said, we're fucked and we all need to get together to work together. And he apparently was the most famous politician that I never heard of that was a prime minister. And he's been sent to the, to the, to the back room of Parliament House. And the, the basically this is what um, John Adams, the economist, was saying. He says we need leaders to actually come out to tell the truth that we're That's in a dire situation. And interestingly enough, over the last three months, I've put my hand up to run for a Senate seat in the next federal election next year, which is going to be an interesting journey. And it's so interesting, again, because at the moment, I seem to be connecting with these really beautiful, free-thinking minds that want to and, and have the ability to tell people the truth of the current predicament we're in and also offer solutions. So... Uh, I'll, I'll hand it back over. I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.